0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I just wanna point out uh, that, first of all, it's, a, it's just a joy uh, to be singing and worshiping with you um, here in person, those of you online. I wanna point out that we were just singing um, the first two songs laid out it wasn't just songs that we sing they laid out the message of god's word and the message of the bible if you go back and look at those later this afternoon just watch through that and the promises that god makes and then just the simplicity of running to his arms running to his hope running to his rescue I love joining together um, and singing with you, and I love the opportunity to look together to God's Word. I was talking, and and by the the way, if you don't know, my name is Tim Barton, I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here. Um, I was talking with uh, our very thoughtful and wise youth pastor um, earlier this week, uh, Andrew Collins, and as we were talking, uh, Andrew used an illustration that that I thought was very good um, about how... The the COVID and response to COVID, the other things going on in our culture, um, how they're affecting us, and he and he said that we're like rocks in a stream, um, and and the stream is the, all this stuff going on um, in in the world, and how it's as it continues to run over us, um, I mean ru- flow over us, it's molding us, it's shaping us, it's it's changing us in ways we don't we don't even realize at times. But I also looked at Andrew and I said, yeah, that's that's good, Andrew. And sometimes I kind of think, I feel like I've just rolled over into the rapids and all, the, all this stuff's doing is just beating me to death, um, just pounding me uh, day by day. You know, from an earthly perspective, what we see around us is chaos. It's chaos. And it does take a toll on us. Maybe some of you feel that toll acutely this morning. Some of you, you may feel just... just over time that you're tired. The unknown, the daily changes, the mental and emotional exhaustion, the anxiety induced by all this going on around us, the the not knowing what's coming next. Will I be able to pay my employees? Will I keep my job? How's this gonna affect my children? How's this gonna affect my parents? And maybe you're wondering what parts of our current culture are real? What parts are being blown out of proportion? Perhaps you're asking, why am I afraid? Should I even be afraid? Is this our new reality? Will this just go on like this forever? But this morning, I want us to see that the Bible says that these circumstances are not beyond God's control. And so we're going to see today how we are to live as followers of Jesus in the chaos. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, that's, that's what I want you to listen for. Um, the, the remainder of our time is going to talk about how do we live our lives in the midst of the chaos around us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, whether whether here in person or watching online today, I want to ask you to consider these things that we talk about today. Because what you're going to hear today is, is again, what, what our lives as Christians should look like in this in this culture, in this time. And as you listen and as you hear this, you're going to realize... Well, the Christians I know don't do this perfectly. And I'll go ahead and tell you the Christians around you in this room, (laughs) we don't do this perfectly, what we're going to talk about today. But would you consider how you might view Christianity differently if the followers of Jesus did begin to change and live this way? And then would you consider the difference it would make in your life if you believed these things we're talking about today? And we're gonna look at Jeremiah 29 verses four through 14, which is probably a pretty familiar passage for you. And as you, we get ready to do that, I wanna give you a little bit of background because there's some background needed for this passage and then the, the message itself this morning. We need to realize as we come to this, this is written to Old Testament Israel um, and the, the original audience then is, so is the Israelites who are God's people, And at this point in their history, they've been taken out of their land, the the land of promise, and they've been taken into captivity in Babylon. In Babylon, they're, they're there because of judgment. They had continually disobeyed God. They had continually ignored God the God who said, I love, I love you, the God who's taking care of them, they continually ignored him and disobeyed him. And so they were taken from their homes their native land into this place of captivity, this place where they were foreigners, this place where they were enduring the harsh reality, the chaos of living in another land. Now I say all that and you might think, yeah, okay, how does this apply to me? What's this gonna mean for me today? This was a sad time for the people of Israel. They were discouraged. Their lives were in chaos. And I want to remind you this morning that that we as followers of Jesus are also living in exile. We're also living in a foreign land. Why do I say that? Because this world was created perfect. The world was created perfect There was no sin, there was no disorder, there was no chaos. But due to sin, Adam and Eve's sin, um, our first parents, the first people God created, due to their sin, and then due to our own sin as well, that continues, the world's in chaos. That's why we know when we look around, things aren't right. That's why we know that, that this broken world is a foreign land for the people of God. Our country America is part of this broken world now we love the heritage of our country we pray that the Christian heritage we have won't be lost but the truth is whether it's lost or not America is not the promised land and our future hope as followers of Jesus is not in deliverance from our circumstances in this country Our future hope is not in a political party. Our future hope is not in some movement. Our future hope is that God is at work rescuing his people. And God will bring us to his promised land. And so our passage then is going to show us what, again, what the lives of those who believe that God is at work rescuing his people should look like in the midst of the chaos. I know that's a lot of background setting it up. Let's look now to to Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, We're gonna begin in verse four, we'll read through verse 14. I remind you that this is the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Would you just join me in asking the Lord, Um, to show us what he wants us to see uh, this morning. Lord, we do come before you. We we come before you because, um, Lord, we don't need a mere man's thoughts. Lord, we don't find hope in the things that we can come up with. Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit today, you would illuminate your word to the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would remind us that you are our hope, that you are our rescuer. Lord, that you would show us how to live in the light of that truth. And that, Lord, if there are those here today who don't know that truth in their hearts at this point, Lord, I ask that you would be gracious and merciful, and Lord, you would give them the new hope of walking with you this day. Lord, God, our time for your glory, for your honor, for the good of your people, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So the question again is, how do we live as followers of Jesus in the midst of the chaos? We're gonna see two ways. One is that we believe God is always at work rescuing his people. And the second one is that we live like God is always at work rescuing his people. So the first one, believe God is always at work rescuing his people. See, God's using Jeremiah's letter to remind the people of Israel to live like he called them to, that that to to be able to do that, they needed to believe he was always at work, that he was in control. Three times in this passage, then, we see God's work explicitly asserted, saying God did something. First, it's in verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He tells them that that it's written to exiles whom he had sent. Then he goes on in verse seven and he says that they're there to seek the peace and prosperity for the city God sent them. And then in verse 14 shows his work as well saying he will bring them back from the place in which I sent you and carried you into exile. Then verse 11 he also says very frankly that he knows the plans that he has for them. Now for us, we hear that and, and, and it may be a little bit of a surprise to us. It may not, you, that may be new to you uh, that God would say those things. But for the people of Israel, this would have been a normal thing for them. This wouldn't have been something that was a, a new message to them. Throughout their history, God had reminded him that, them that, that he was their God, that he was in control of all the promises he had given them. And, and after their previous slavery in Egypt, um, J, uh, Joseph had gone to Egypt, the, then Jacob, Israel, and all the, all the brothers and family came to Egypt. They grew up in Egypt, and they grew big, and then they were under persecution and slavery. God delivers them through Moses, and then Joshua, um, who, who Moses trained up, Joshua leads them into the land God had promised, and they conquer the land, and they settle in the land. Now, as, as Joshua, after, they, after all that had happened, long before the occurrences of our passage this morning, Joshua was about to die. And here's what he says to them in Joshua 23. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. God had promised, had done, God had done everything that he had promised to do. And the people of Israel were reminded of that over and over and over again. They should have remembered that his, faith, his faithfulness to them throughout all the years, that he was in control, that he was the one always at work. But here we are again with Israel. Here again. And if you've read the Old Testament or even just heard some of the stories, you realize it's a pretty normal occurrence. They need to be reminded. God knew that if the Israelites didn't believe that he was always at work rescuing his people, they weren't going to be able to live like God had called them to live in a foreign land. But here's the thing. We too are God's people who need to believe that he's always at work rescuing his people. Remember, I said a minute ago, you know, brokenness and sin entered the world. God rescued his people through the line of Israel. He sends Jesus and brings salvation and rescue to his people. Then he didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but he gave us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a counselor, as the power to change us until Jesus returns. And, And so what we see is that everything God says he's doing his word, he's done even for the people of God. So God's reminding us of that. But right now, just like the people of Israel were, we're prone to forget that. We're prone to forget that because we become focused on and and maybe even scared of the things the world tells us to focus on, the world says to be scared of. Maybe like pandemics. Race riots in our country, fear of what might happen next, all while wrestling with the chaos of our own lives. You know, kids, how many of you are sitting here thinking, "Oh man, what's school going to look like when we have to when we return? Are we going to have to wear masks? We're going to have to do these things." So so that stuff affects us, right? It's kind of chaotic in our lives. Parents, you may be thinking, "Okay, kids are going to go back to school, and and they go back to school, and how long is it going to be before they're back home again? And we got to figure this all out again." And so this this chaos kind of stirs up, or we're thinking, what if I lose my job? What if my health deteriorates? What if my spouse and I have to work from home together for the next year? But the call for each of us as followers of Jesus is to look back at the moments when you realize this world was not as you had hoped it would be and recognize how God in the little things has shown us his faithfulness, how God in the big things has shown you his faithfulness. Kids, if you don't do this at home, uh, I want to encourage you to do something. All right, y'all look at me for a minute. I'm gonna make you stop and look up at me for a minute. I want you to remind your parents, okay, that every day to thank God for something. And one of the reasons we do that is even in the little things where we thank God for something, Even in those little things, we learn to realize that God is faithful to his people, that God is at work rescuing his people. And we see glimpses of it even in the little things every day. Can y'all do that for me? Remind your parents? Okay, good, thank you. Some of you, though, I know are in the middle of something right now and you don't see God's faithfulness. You cannot possibly understand how and what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, that God is at work. And I wanna also say to you, it's okay to acknowledge that as well. We can acknowledge that. And that's when we must cling to the promises and testimony of the Bible as to God's character. Even when we don't feel it until he demonstrates this truth once again in our hearts. I believe as we, as we live in the chaos around us, this, this is all a reminder to us that we need to turn and trust God, the God who's always at work rescuing his people and ask him to renew our belief that that's true day by day. All right. Now, the second way we answer that question, how do we live in the chaos? How do we live our lives in the chaos is that we live like God is always at work, rescuing his people. So again, people of Israel in captivity in Babylon, if you were carried off into captivity into another, now keep in mind, Israel, they, they won wars. They didn't lose wars. Israel is a powerful nation. When they went to war with God on their side, they, they didn't lose. Now they're being, they're humiliated being in captivity in a foreign land. God says that because it was he, the God who is always at work, who brought them into this captivity, they were not to live in misery or in fear and dread. In fact, he gives them instructions um, that are quite different than that. And these instructions were to affect three areas of their lives, which is really their whole lives. First, he gives them instructions for their personal lives, verses five and six. He tells them there to build houses and to settle down to plant gardens or vineyards and eat what they produce. Verse six tells them to marry and have sons and daughters and find wives and husbands for their sons and daughters. And they were to increase in number rather than sitting around and feeling sorry for themselves. So God's telling them, I'm going to paraphrase. He's giving them three options. You can be miserable sitting around and wondering what's going to happen to you. You can try to work your way out of this situation in which I have you and ultimately fail. It's kind of that whole pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Or you can believe that I'm God and have you where you need to be in your life and believe that I am always at work and will rescue you as I say I will. But before we get too hard on it, let's think about this for just a minute. All right, so kids, I'm going to ask for your help again, okay? I know you know how to do math. And in verse 10, it says that they're going to be there for 70 years. So if you are an Israelite kid who's been carried off into captivity in Babylon when you were seven years old, all right? And you're going to be there for 70 years. How old are you going to be when that captivity is over? Call it out. All right. Only if you're confident. Yeah, 77, right? You're going to be 77 years old. I'm looking around. Is anybody in here 77 years old or older? I don't... Oh, oh, we got somebody. All right. That that feels like, right? That feels like a long time, right? In some ways. I know in other ways it goes by fast. <laughs> that feels like a long time. And, and here's the deal. Here's what he's telling them. You need to live like you believe I'm always at work, res- rescuing my people, even though... Many of you, Israel, are going to die in Babylon. And most of you are going to live the majority of your life in Babylon. You need to live there believing that I'm always at work rescuing my people. As Christians in exile, you know, we really don't have to say for, for our application that we need to build houses and live in them, plant gardens or take care of our food things as we need to. We, we, don't, we don't have to say we need to marry off our children. We're pretty good at that, right? That's part of our society. We do that, okay? But our life should reflect that we believe God is always at work rescuing his people, and so our life should reflect the way he says to go about that, the reason he says to go about that, which is his mission, that all these things we do in our personal lives are meant for what? They're meant for making the rescuer, Jesus, known to each other and to the world around us. That's why we do what we do in our personal lives. He also tells them how they're to live in their societal lives. We see that in verse 7. He tells them to seek the welfare or the peace and prosperity or the well-being of the city in which God had them. Um, You know, as, as you read that, you realize at least some of the Israelites probably hated the people who had them in captivity. They probably wished to see harm done to them. And you've got others who at best were probably apathetic to the welfare of the society and really just trying to get by, just trying to take care of themselves until their captivity was over. God tells them instead that their job is to seek the welfare, the peace, and the prosperity of the land and show God forth by their actions. As Christians in exile... Are we seeking the welfare of our society by lovingly promoting what God says is right or needed? Now, I want to be clear that that's more than just doing some good stuff in our community. That may be part of it, but it's more than that. So let me say it another way. Do we care enough about the people, the community, and the world around us to promote the only thing that will bring peace and ultimate prosperity. What is that thing? It's knowing the rescuer, it's knowing Jesus. And just a quick aside, remember biblical peace and prosperity as described in the unfolding of all of scripture is not the money, health, wealth, not about better circumstances. It's always about as scripture unfolds, knowing Jesus in the midst of the chaos. The passage goes on, though, and says at the end of verse 7 that the people of Israel are to pray for the society. They're to pray for their leaders. The ruler that was over them is the one that God had put there. And so they should pray for him and for the kingdom in which they live because that, that probably would be good for them. But more importantly... It would be good for the mission that God had to rescue his people. In our society, we have leaders and rulers and likely have a time coming when a majority of our leaders and rulers don't follow God. But that doesn't release us from praying for them and from praying that they in this country would know the peace and prosperity of knowing God through Jesus. Because that's the mission that God has given us. If our leaders, as we pray for them, come to know the peace and prosperity of knowing Jesus, number one, that's the whole mission of God. So we know it's good from that perspective, right? That's what he's called us to. And, and the side of that is that the extra benefit of that is it would be good for our country too. If our leaders knew him, if our leaders turned to him for wisdom, if they ran to him. You know, and I say that and I was, I was convicted last week, uh, we were praying um, before the first service a group of us praying together. And as as we were praying, um, an older uh, brother in Christ was was praying and he he prayed for our leaders. Man, when he prayed for our leaders, I was convicted. I do it personally, but I was convicted that, that I really don't lead my boys, my children, in doing that very well. Thankfully, my wife does sometimes. And I realize that because, because I hear things come out of their mouths that are like, oh, why is, our, why is this leader doing this? Why is this leader doing this? Man, kids are, are, are a mirror or an um, echo chamber, so to speak, and so often you just hear yourself coming out of them, and it's, it's kind of gut-wrenching sometimes. I don't say that lightly. But I was convicted. I, I need to be leading them in praying uh, for our leaders. That they may know the peace and prosperity of knowing Jesus. He goes on and he talks about their religious lives. Verses eight to nine, I'm going to read those. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them declares the Lord. Here's what's going on. We see it back in chapter 28. Some had come in among the people of Israel at this time. And what they were doing was spreading false hope that the captivity wouldn't last more than, excuse me, more than a couple years. That's that's what Hananiah specifically, the prophet, the the false prophet Hananiah was saying. And in verse 16, we see the judgment on Hananiah because he was giving false prophecy. He was giving prophecies that tickled the people's ears. Prophecies that said another way that people wanted to hear. This isn't going to be as long as God as, as we thought it was going to be. It's only going to be a couple years. But God tells the people through Jeremiah that though those false prophets may say things in the name of the Lord, when they go against what God has said, then they're lying. And the Lord has not sent them. Therefore, the people are to ignore false prophets and are instead to seek the Lord and trust in his word, as he is their god who is always at work that idea is extended into the new testament so in the new testament and we saw this a couple a few weeks ago in first john uh, chapter 4 verse 1 it says we're to test to see whether the spirit is from is from god to test to see whether the things we're hearing are from god because many false prof- prophets have arisen and in our day we're not exempt from this either Prophets today may tell us when our captivity, that is our time on earth, will end. God says no one knows the day or hour. They may tell us that as Christians we should compromise the truth of the Bible to make it easier for people to accept. Or they may tell us something else that's not in accord with Scripture, like the lie that if we know God, then we will have financial wealth and prosperity. Or if we have enough faith, then we'll always be healthy. And so for us, the application today is when those false teachings come, we ignore them. We call them out for what they are. So we live like God is always at work, rescuing his people in every area of our lives because that is how we find hope in the chaos. We can have hope in the chaos because God is always at work rescuing his people. And and so in verses 10 through 14, God points the people of Israel to the hope. Let me read it for you again. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. We mentioned it earlier, but only when the time had been completed, only when 70 years had been completed, would he fulfill the promise he made to the people of Israel. But he says in verse ten, "I'll come and fulfill my promise." And then verse eleven, he says, "He knows the plans he has for the people of Israel in exile. His plan is to give them a future and a hope." And so, in these verses, God, who so often describes his relationship with his people as a bride and bri- as a bridegroom, God and, and bride, his people, is saying to them, as he had laid out for them in Jeremiah chapter three. Um, You know, even though, even though you messed up, even though you did evil in my sight, now standing and facing his bride, the people of his choosing, he says, because you are my people whom I love, I will come to you and fulfill my promise. I will listen to you as you pray. I will be found by you when you seek me with all your heart. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God made this promise to Israel, referring to the future hope of bringing them out of Babylonian captivity. And ultimately, God will also bring all of us who are followers of Jesus out of the exile in which we live now. Out of this broken, messed up, chaotic world. And he does that if we're followers of him. He will rescue us. If we've acknowledged or we will acknowledge that because of our own sin and brokenness, our only hope is Jesus. Jesus, who is God's son, who lived the perfect life, who died the death that we deserve, paying the penalty for our sin, and rose again, defeating the power of sin. If, if we'll say to him, I know I need you. I know you are the only hope for the chaos in my life and world, then he will rescue us from this broken world he will deliver us safely home to the true promised land one that's not been marred by sin the land with no crying no death no sickness no misery no suffering no hopelessness no fear and there will be plenty of times when the circumstances of our lives on this earth in the midst of this still will feel chaotic will feel overwhelming. Many of you know that more than I do right now. Some of you may be feeling that sitting here in this room. And you may be at a point in your life this morning where you just don't know what God is doing or where he's going to take you next. But we find hope because the same God who's always at work tells his people, I will rescue you we're not going to find real and lasting hope in a vaccine in a solution to all the problems in our culture in the fixing of family circumstances all those things may, may be evidence that God is at work and, and, and um, paying attention to things that he is in the in rescuing us but the lasting hope comes in knowing that our God, through the work of his son, Jesus, is the one who is rescuing us. Now, I've, I've been talking to the kids today too. Maybe this will help all of us a little bit um, in what I'm about to say. But I need, you to, I need you to pretend with me for a minute, okay? First, this is hard. We need to pretend um, that Superman is real. Y'all with me? I pretend that Superman is real we got to start there. Now pretend that if we looked out that window, we saw a big airplane flying right towards this building. You pretending with me? A right, big airplane flying right towards this building. Superman's in here. We don't really know he's in here. How much hope would you have that Pastor Tim could go out there and stop that airplane from hitting this building? Come on, somebody tell me. Not much. Not, but thank you. <laughs> Not much. Okay, zero, right? Um, I'll just come in the building with the airplane if I try. All right, so you, you get what I'm saying there, right? Okay. When we put our hope in anything other than Jesus, who is the real Superman, it's like, me as pastor tim trying to stand out there and stop the airplane from coming in this building jesus is the only hope but the beauty is as god is always at work rescuing his people and we can know it and believe it because of what he's done for us through his son jesus as we prepare for communion this morning um, I want you to ask this question. Will you ask God by the work of his Holy Spirit, you know what, forget all the extra words. Will you ask God to help you believe this promise today? So ask him to help you believe this promise. And then will you ask God to show you where you're not believing this promise in your life today. Just do those two things. I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence and then I'll bring us back together um, for the Lord's Supper. The Lord tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as you have confessed your sin before him, receive the truth again today that he loves you that he will rescue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.